0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan, and the Xbox Times Activision saga just won't end. Nor would we expect it to, as regulators continue to examine very closely whether or not Microsoft could potentially take a monopoly or market power position in various markets around the video game sector. Now, if you aren't familiar with any of the words I just said, please do check out our Microsoft Times Activision playlist. This will be the 40th video in that playlist. Suffice it to say, Microsoft is trying to buy one of the biggest video game publishers in the world and various antitrust regulators, particularly right now in the United Kingdom, are saying, well, maybe not. And so Xbox, Microsoft, and its Xbox gaming head, Phil Spencer, have decided to speak out a little bit more openly on the problems presented by the CMA, the UK's regulatory authority, and their chief video game rival, PlayStation. And boy, do we have a lot of people interpreting those statements. Before we get into the details, I do want to remind folks, this is a supporter-supported channel. Please do check out our Utreon and our Patreon to see if you would like to support the channel if you're interested in more conversations about the business and law of video games technology software and more. Now, before we get into what Phil Spencer said, we also have to reflect back on what the CMA has put out there. Most of the regulators that we talk about, the European Commission, the Federal Trade Commission here in the United States, they don't go public with what they are thinking behind the scenes on these particular deals. The CMA is an exception. And so we know some of the stuff that Microsoft and Xbox and Phil Spencer are dealing with. First and foremost here in paragraph 190 on page 46 of 76, the CMA says the following. In any event, the CMA considers that a static analysis of vertical arithmetic is of only limited value in assessing the merged entity's incentive to foreclose, as the merged entity may be pursuing objectives other than the maximization of short-term profits. The CMA considers Microsoft's strategy for its gaming division is long-term, well-financed, and focused on user acquisition. The evidence suggests that Microsoft has shown itself to be willing to make losses in the short term in order to build, scale, and increase its user base. The future growth of the gaming industry increases Microsoft's incentive to prioritize increasing its size in the short run, as does the presence of strong direct and indirect network effects. Now. If you didn't watch our seven hour stream where we went over all the definitions and all the various machinations and different logic dead ends and otherwise sideways pathways that the cma pursued against microsoft what this paragraph says is hey yo you guys take losses all the time if you're not profitable you can use your giant size And huge amounts of cash that you can find in your sofa cushions to go and kill everybody else in the market. You might look at Call of Duty costing more to take off of PlayStation, cripple PlayStation's competitive ability. No, I don't agree with them on this thesis, but this is what they're going with. And do it because you can, because you can subsidize a loss like that. And They point to the fact that they've got an article that says, Microsoft has never turned a profit on an Xbox console. Which then goes to say, hey, well, why would they try to be monopolizing console gaming sales if they don't make a profit in that particular market? But we'll leave that aside for right now. The point is, the CMA is going out there and saying, it isn't so hard to imagine a world in which Microsoft and Xbox subsidize Game Pass. Game Pass isn't profitable. And they use that subsidy to go and try to monopolize this particular, very specific market of subscription service video game distribution. Now i've said in that video in other videos in this series that i don't believe that subscription service video game distribution is a unique market that does not have valid substitutes in the buy to play or free to play realm in video games if that is in fact the case if i'm right about that then it's not a salient market it's not a market that you should be doing an antitrust analysis on because people will flip between game pass and buying and playstation plus or anything else And that means that you'd have a substitutability factor that requires you to look at everything all at once. CMA potentially disagrees. This is only their phase one. But Xbox, Microsoft, and Phil Spencer have moved on this with quotes that they gave at a Wall Street Journal event. Now, importantly, very importantly, these are statements that while you still have to be careful regarding if you're Phil Spencer, are not strictly part of their accounting documents that they file with the SEC. Right? So we can take an assumption here as a lawyer and as folks that are watching a legal channel and say, he's almost certainly not lying, but he may not be telling the absolute 1,000% complete truth in a manner that you or I might interpret it. Also, we have to remember that when we talk about accounting concepts, there's a very specific reason it's called GAP, Generally Accepted Accounting Principles, and not GAR, Generally Accepted Accounting Rules. As uh, Captain Barbosa might say, these are more like guidelines rather than rules. And there's a great deal of gray area between how you account for things, especially when we're talking about internal strategic initiatives, right? He's going to say Game Pass is profitable. We don't even know exactly what internal records Microsoft is keeping because Microsoft, generally speaking, reports as a whole company. When you see accounting principles applied to a whole company, they have to make sure they get the bottom line numbers right. They don't necessarily have to have that level of granularity with respect to things like strategic initiatives. Game Pass isn't even its own division or subsidiary or anything like that. So keep that in mind as we look at the first statement here. Microsoft says Xbox Game Pass is quote unquote profitable as it sees subscription growth slow pretty significantly. We'll talk about that as well. Microsoft Gaming CEO Phil Spencer says Xbox Game Pass is already profitable and accounts for around 15% of Xbox content and services revenue. Keep that phrase in mind as well, content and services. We are going to take a look at their SEC filing to see just how little, in all honesty, video gaming drives the behemoth that is the $2 trillion company, Microsoft. Microsoft Gaming CEO Phil Spencer has revealed that the company's Xbox Game Pass subscription service is already profitable. Spencer also revealed that Xbox Game Pass is around 15% of Microsoft's overall Xbox content and service revenue. Spencer says he now expects Xbox Game Pass to stay at around 10 or 15% of Microsoft's Xbox content and services revenue and that it's profitable for us. Game Pass is an overall part of our content and services revenue is probably 15%. I don't think it gets bigger than that, says Spencer. I think the overall revenue grows, so 15% of a bigger number, but we don't have this future where I think 50 to 70% of our revenue comes from subscriptions. Subscriptions don't consume the revenue base that is their content delivery, as Xbox calls it in their accounting statements. This is important, remember, because the CMA is out there saying they are looking to monopolize multi-game subscription services, which would be a driver for their revenue. So Phil Spencer goes out there to the Wall Street Journal and says a few things, hey, it's not a loss leader. We are not trying to undercut the competition with giant subsidies. It's already profitable. We don't think it's going to be the tail that eats the dog on this particular stuff. He's talking to regulators. He's talking to those folks that are looking at things like the Activision deal to say, you're wrong. We don't have this intent. We're already making money. Even if we didn't have Activision, we'd continue to make money. And so you're worried about all of this for nothing. Spencer suggests Xbox Game Pass won't dominate Microsoft's gaming revenue. There's a reason for that, as there are only so many Xbox console owners that can subscribe to the service, and that's The Verge editorializing. We're seeing incredible growth on PC, says Spencer. On console, I've seen growth slow down, mainly because at some point you've reached everybody on console that wants to subscribe i.e. you've reached a saturation point. One of the things I have long said on this channel and in this series is that much like all the other streaming services we have observed, the Netflixes, the Disney Pluses, the Hulu's, everything else, Xbox right now is in those early stages of what we would call user acquisition. They are trying to establish the value proposition of their product And they are, in some ways, subsidizing that price, at least below what the market could probably sustain, to make sure that more eyeballs and people get into their sphere, grow dependent on it, invest in that ecosystem, whatever you want to frame it as, depending on how evil or good you think Microsoft is, and then the same pattern will hold. The Game Pass price will go up. That is a point of contention because, as we've seen from the CMA, they're concerned that Microsoft is going to purchase Activision, get Call of Duty, and use it to monopolize this separate market, which ordinarily you would assume would mean that they would raise the price. They have monopolized it. The CMA is worried about this. And then they've killed out all the other competition and they raise their rate to an above market rate. And honestly, that doesn't work for me as terribly informative from the CMA standpoint or potentially other regulators because... We can see that that's the standard protocol. You don't have to have a monopoly or market power to understand that there is an incentive to keep the price low for a while and then to increase it to hopefully what you think is a decent margin for your company. Microsoft's got an issue, though, in that it looks exactly like what a monopolist would do. And we don't really trust the CMA to do a very specific detailed analysis of the dynamic market that is technology. Microsoft just revealed that it saw PC Game Pass subscription increase by 159% year over year, and that more than 20 million people have streamed games on Xbox Cloud Gaming, up from 10 million earlier this year, so 100% year over year. So cloud gaming is increasing, but still a very small kind of concept for Microsoft as a company. And they're seeing PC game pass growth, understandably, because PC game pass also costs a little bit less and it potentially has a bigger audience that doesn't need a specific plastic box under their TV. They also add on in this article, a little bit separate from the overall question regarding game pass that Microsoft wants to break Apple and Google. Microsoft is building an Xbox mobile gaming store to take on Apple and Google, but it will face challenges in growing Game Pass on platforms like iOS, where it's currently impossible to offer rival stores and even cloud gaming apps. If you take a long-term bet, says Phil Spencer, which we are doing, that we will be able to get access to players on the largest platforms that people play on, Android and iOS phones, we want to be in a position with content, players, and storefront capability to take advantage of it, which also helps illuminate why we saw Xbox executives speaking on behalf of Epic in Epic versus Apple, right? That's a long form series on this channel you can check out. One of the things that I said is that Epic has a terrible argument under existing antitrust law. But as we've also seen, Epic has pursued certain victories in legislatures around the world. And honestly, from the political headwinds, I would expect them to continue winning through that and maybe not so much through the legal judiciary process. Either way, Microsoft is on their side, not only because they think there's money to be made there in mobile and getting game pass on phones. They undoubtedly do. But also because they think, in my opinion, it makes them look good, right? You've got legislatures that are against Android and against iOS. You've got legislatures that want to do something to crack open that ecosystem. And what better white knight for that than one of the biggest tech companies in the world? So you go out there and you say things like this. Game Pass, already profitable. You don't need to worry about an undercutting strategy. It's not going to dominate our revenues. It's not driving this ship, regulators. Also, through Game Pass, through the things that we can throw at this, we're going to break another potential monopoly that you already have a problem with. We're the good guys. Side with us. And Microsoft puts these arguments together to talk to those regulatory bodies. Now, the bad news. We've held our price on our console. We've held our price on our games and our subscription. I don't think we'll be able to do that forever. I do think at some point we'll have to raise some prices on certain things. But going into the holiday, we thought it was really important that we maintain the prices that we have. That sounds to me, again, speculative, in corporate speak, that they're going to hold it for Christmas, but get ready for price increases in 2023. And that would relatively match based on what we're seeing in terms of growth slowdown and Game Pass penetration of the various markets for what we saw with Netflix and Disney Plus and all these various other companies and say, yep, now is the time to hit the button. We can increase that price to $20, maybe $25. Depends on exactly how fast you want to boil that frog in that pot. And Microsoft and Phil Spencer are basically going out there and trying to start massaging the expectations, right? They had some amount of advertising success against Sony when Sony raised the price of their PlayStation 5 everywhere but the United States. Microsoft said, that's not fair to, to, to people that are currently engaged in this economy and it's, it's imploding everywhere. We're not going to charge people extra for their leisure items. Here, Phil Spencer is saying, yes, we thought it was important to have that go through the holidays, but get ready. Right, We are also experiencing a blowing up economy. We're also experiencing issues getting the supply chains working. All of the various inputs that go into making an Xbox have gone up in price. We're going to have to adjust for this at some point. And also, we've got a very large gaming revenue subscription service, and we think we've basically acquired the bulk of who we're going to acquire into that market, at least at the console level. So that's when you say, okay, folks that are already in the ecosystem – Let's talk about numbers. Now, here in Virtual Legality, it's also fun to talk about numbers. Let's look at their SEC filing here because there are some very interesting numbers indeed. This is also one of the reasons why I think Xbox feels a little bit put upon by regulators in their Activision deal because gaming doesn't drive much of anything for this company. In fact, if you go and you look at their fiscal year, 2022 business performance, you see LinkedIn revenue increased 34%. Server products, cloud services increased 28%. Xbox content and services revenue increased 3%. Even with the massive success of Game Pass, even with everything that they have touted, it is 10 times less than Microsoft's ability to go monetize and make profits on the enterprise side of things. Whether it's cloud services, whether it's just things like LinkedIn, they dwarf the growth that the Xbox division is seeing with respect to their gaming side. It's actually amazing when you look at these kinds of numbers that they got approval to spend $70 billion trying to make the Xbox product offering more attractive. We also see some other interesting things in this document and those all kind of relate to Satya Nadella and other executives' compensation packages where we can start to get a feeling for how important Game Pass is to Microsoft as an entity. Right, so last year, fiscal year 21, you see that 5% of his bonus was tied to Xbox Game Pass subscriber growth. Now, in the most recent year, fiscal year 2022, that's increased to 10%. So they're doubling their interest in Xbox, but just like we saw at the top line numbers, what do they really care about? How can you really make a bonus if you just happen to be in Satya Nadella's shoes? You can go increase that cloud revenue. You can go increase those cloud subscribers. You can go increase Teams access and then comes Game Pass subscribers growth, right? So the Microsoft entity is still an enterprise software company. They aren't driven by Xbox or Game Pass. And we see that throughout all of these references, right? For PSA, the performance stock award metrics across the company, Game Pass subscriber growth comes in that fourth spot with Microsoft Cloud Revenue number one. Why? Because that's where they're making most of their money. And in all honesty, We'll take a look at a Wall Street Journal article. They're down. Everybody's down. Honestly, folks, the economy on the tech side is in tatters. We've got a terrible Google uh, results this week. We got not so great Microsoft results across the board, even though they were kind of stayed against other tech companies. Uh, But it's going to be a troubling economy for tech companies in particular. And they're focused on getting more and more of that cloud revenue. So that holds across all of these kinds of references. We do see a number here to 25 million Game Pass subscriptions and that they're excited about acquiring Activision Blizzard to drive that Game Pass value. And then we also get a little bit of insight as to how Game Pass has been doing over the past few years. You see that it was only at a 7% wait for bonus in 2020. That went down to 5% in 2021 and then up to 10% in 2022. So this is the board They are evaluating what they want their CEO to be focused on. And they're saying, well, essentially Game Pass is selling itself. You don't need to worry about it so much. Oh, it slowed down a bunch. Why don't you double your efforts on that? And so we give it an increased weight in 2022. And yet, and yet, if we actually look at what happened with Game Pass, you see in 2020, we had a target. It was 71%. And I have to be honest, Microsoft isn't defining these things very well here. It would appear to be 71% growth. However... We're assuming on that. So take it with a grain of salt. And they exceeded whatever that target actually meant in the way that Microsoft is calculating it by a substantial amount. They wanted 71%. They got 85%. Now they reduced that the next year. They reduced the weight on it for the bonus. They reduced what they were actually looking for to 47% because they know they're getting to a market saturation point. They didn't meet that number. They asked for 37%. Now, Satya Nadella or the management or whomever Looked at the company and said, we want to really focus on that Game Pass. We think there's an avenue to getting money. They increased that weight. They increased their ask, 72.88%, kind of catching up to what they missed out on in 2021. And that falls all the way to 28%. Game Pass, when Phil Spencer talks about it kind of saturating, they are seeing that in their numbers. And at that point in time is when a company generally looks and says, okay, we're going to make more expensive content. We're gonna continue to make that value proposition make sense to our subscribers, hopefully, but it's time to go get more money from them. And the question then becomes, if you're a Microsoft fan, if you're a Game Pass fan, what is the actual monetary value of it to you, right? What is the number that they could give you where you'd say, actually, I am going to unsubscribe from this because the value of those dollars in my pocket is more valuable than Game Pass. I can assure you, at least for me, that it's a higher value than the $15 that I currently spend on it. Is it 30? Is it 60? Is it a marketing campaign that says, for the price of one game per month, get 150 I can certainly see that happening. And I suspect Xbox has models that look at all of these various opportunities. But either way, what's important to them is getting that content in the door. That's the next step in this particular business model. That's what we saw with Netflix. That's what we see with Disney. And they are making it themselves. Xbox is going to buy things to make it for themselves so that they can compete on that level. Now, we also saw Phil Spencer refer to it as a 15% of content and services. Dom at Dom's Playing, highly recommend the follow on Twitter, does the math for us and finds that for 2022, you've got a little under $1.88 billion in revenue for Game Pass based on that metric. Is that the same kind of number we've heard in other places? No, not quite. Is that fully accurate? Almost certainly not. Phil Spencer's kind of talking about 15% as an average, but we get a notion of what it can be. And then we also get a great response from another person that uh, follows the channel, Raphael Oppenheimer here, who says, True, but profitability is impacted to a large extent by the choice of accounting principles. It's possible to be profitable, but cash flow negative. I have no idea if that is the case or not for Game Pass, just my experience as a certified professional accountant slash auditor. And that is so, so important. Accounting is principles. It isn't rules. And no, Phil Spencer almost certainly didn't lie about profitability. But because it's an internal initiative of a giant company like Microsoft, you can play a lot of games with things like overhead, right? We've seen it done in the opposite. I brought up a Wikipedia entry just now called Hollywood Accounting. If you aren't familiar with this, it's the fact that Hollywood owes royalties to people that participate in the making of their movies. And so they've come up over the years with a lot of fun Sometimes illegal, sometimes right on the line in terms of legality, way of accounting for their expenses called Hollywood accounting. Now, understand their objective here is the exact opposite of Phil Spencer's when he talks to the Wall Street Journal, in that they want to say there's no profitability. That that movie that made $800 million, we can account for that. And what do they do? They move their overall company's overhead around on these various books. You see here in the Wikipedia entry, Three main factors in Hollywood accounting reduce the reported profit of a movie and all have to do with the calculation of overhead. Production overhead. Studios on average calculate production overhead by using a simple figure of around 15%. Distribution overhead. Film distributors typically keep 30% of what they receive from a movie, so they just kind of use the 30% math. And then marketing overhead. To determine this number, studios usually choose about 10% of all advertising costs that the company engages in. All of the above means calculating overhead are highly controversial even within the accounting profession, namely these percentages are assigned without much regard to how in reality these estimates relate to actual overhead costs. So if you wanted to play with these things and say, okay, what did Microsoft contribute to the game pass initiative? How much did that cost them internally? They're marketing game pass. They're putting commercials up for these things. They're holding things like E3. What of their advertising budget are they going to ascribe to the game pass initiative? You can move those things around, be a little bit broader, be a little bit narrower to get to a notion where you could say game pass is profitable, even though it might not be profitable if it were sitting off on its own. Even if it were its own company, it would be difficult maybe to get that cash flow to be positive over expenses. We don't know any of that. The point is that Phil Spencer says it's profitable. That notion, Game Pass is profitable, does not appear in the documents that are really the ones that raise your exposure risk, your liability in a legal sense. And so we do have to take it with at least a modicum of a grain of salt, a, a middle-sized piece of salt. It doesn't have to be one of those big salt licks that we throw over our shoulders. It doesn't have to be super, super granular. But we do need to take into account that Phil Spencer can tell the truth, and it can still be the truth that's at least modified a little bit by accounting principles, as we heard in that Twitter statement. Now we've talked about Game Pass a lot. There are other things that the CMA is concerned about. They're concerned about monopoly power. They're concerned about lost leadership and subsidies from a giant tech company. They're concerned about the market for Game Pass. They're also concerned about the market for cloud gaming. So we get a similar kind of concept, right? I promise you a Wall Street Journal article that says, Microsoft casts a very big cloud downbeat forecast from software giant is a bad sign for corporate tech spending resilience. And we also get a little clip of the video that you can check out. I will link this in the description that says, Microsoft chief, Phil Spencer, we have to break duopoly of Google and Apple. They continue to press the point. We got to break Google and Apple. We're the good guys. Only a big company can do this. Get behind us regulators, get behind us governments, get behind us legislatures. And yeah, let's make some money. Let's get into mobile. But you need us to do these kinds of things. Results in some more vital areas were a bit less impressive. Azure, Microsoft's public cloud service that is second only to Amazon's in size, saw revenues grow 35% year over year. Pretty good. But that was two percentage points below analysts' forecasts and a big slowdown from the 46% growth averaged over the past four quarters. 10% difference between what they had been doing the prior four quarters to now. Strong dollar had a big impact. Microsoft says growth would have been 42% otherwise if they didn't have to adjust for currencies but that still marks a notable deceleration from currency adjusted growth rates of those past four quarters. The company also projected a further five percentage point decline for Azure growth in the December quarter, noting that some moderation in the use of the service is expected to continue. Azure's outlook fed into what was a disappointing forecast overall for the current quarter, and that wasn't what tech investors wanted to hear, especially after Alphabet had just a train wreck of a set of disclosures this week. In case you didn't see this, this is a little bit of a side trip, Google's bottom line is now top of mind, says the Wall Street Journal, because, and we're not going to go into the full article here because it's blocked, YouTube had its own ad revenue rise only 3% year over year to about $54.5 billion, remembering that we're in a very inflationary environment and that YouTube's ad revenue went down for the first time ever, slipping 2% to only only about $7.1 billion. YouTube ad revenues for Google and Alphabet are in a completely closed market ecosystem. They basically have cornered every bit of ad serving on videos like this one. Thank you for watching and not uh, skipping all those ads. Uh, But, but this is indicative of a market overall that is slowing down massively. One analyst says of Microsoft, we see this as a generally weak macro environment, the whole economy, having a material effect on a broad-based well-run company. We think Microsoft is okay. Winter is here. It's coming for everyone and no software vendor will be left unscathed. So if you are Microsoft, you're answering these regulators, you're trying to spend $70 billion in a market that is just imploding all around you and you're getting a little bit frustrated, right? You're talking about cloud services that aren't growing as much as you wanted. You're talking about cloud gaming that isn't where you think it should be. You add on to the things that you are saying to, again, address overall the regulators and say, well, we were working on a game streaming console, but... It's years away. As The Verge says here, Microsoft originally announced an Xbox streaming device last year, but now it says it's years away from becoming a reality. A prototype Keystone Xbox streaming console appeared on a shelf recently, which is an interesting way to say it. It appeared on Phil Spencer's shelf recently. You can see it right here. But this is important, right? Microsoft is, in everything it is saying right now on the gaming side, protecting itself from regulatory interference, or at least trying to so you have phil spencer going out here with yeah you're worried about cloud gaming right our cloud gaming solution the main one that we've been working on that we teased that i put on my shelf uh, it's years away that's not going to be anytime soon cma ftc ec whoever else is interested you don't have to worry about us dominating that market, just like you don't have to worry about us dominating with subscription services. It's not going to drive our decision making. We're not selling it at a loss. We're not doing evil things. We're going to talk into the ether to places like Wall Street Journal and hopefully just see that you are listening. And this continues on and on and on. Tom Warren of The Verge again says, What did Phil Spencer say about Call of Duty? Call of Duty will specifically be available on PlayStation. I'd love to see it on Switch. I'd love to see the game playable on many different screens. Our intent is to treat Call of Duty like Minecraft. This opportunity is really about mobile for us. When you think about 3 billion people playing video games, there's only about 200 million households on console. And of course, they have the easiest track to argue for getting into the mobile environment. Microsoft really doesn't have a mobile competitor. Activision Blizzard King, the K for King, King is a massive asset that might even be driving Microsoft's thought process in buying this particular uh, set of companies. And King is going to be what breaks down the mobile door. But note the reference to Minecraft, right? We saw in the lobbyist documents that we looked at earlier this week that those lobbyists said, well, Microsoft is just going to treat it like Minecraft. And the CMA says, okay, but the most recent deal was for ZeniMax, Bethesda. And even though Xbox kind of hand-waved around whether or not they'd make things exclusive, it's now apparent that they are going to make those things exclusive. And we should at least take that into account. Phil Spencer, in response to all of this, says, yeah, those lobbyists are right. We're going to treat it like Minecraft. Nobody needs to worry about that, even though Minecraft, as a single product... Uh, and yes, they have DLC skins, they have all sorts of stuff that goes into Minecraft, they have their two spin spin-offs, which clearly aren't driving the revenue or the discussion, that even though it's a single product, it's much closer to Call of Duty, which is an annualized product that has, for instance, a sale going on a new product tomorrow. And so, Phil Spencer is out there, doing work for Microsoft, doing work for Xbox. I do not blame them one bit for this set of messages, but we can at least piece apart what it is that they are trying to do. Now, I have questions about Game Pass profitability. I think if it were truly profitable in the manner that is suggested by what Phil Spencer says, it would appear in their annualized statements a little bit more. There's something to tout there They'd otherwise put marketing out around it. Just being said in a random Wall Street Journal document, I don't think is exactly indicative of something that we have to trust on its face certainly folks that are big xbox fans online on social media in my dms are mentioning it all over the place and i'm not saying you're wrong i think it's great if game pass and its model can be successful i'm a game pass subscriber i love that kind of thing but i do have my concerns for long term viability i do have my concerns about whether a company that isn't as big as microsoft could actually do that that they have the cash to actually compete on those i think those are warranted even though I don't think it warrants antitrust intrusion because I don't think subscription services are a completely separate market from going and buying God of War Ragnarok for the $70 that Sony asks of you. Those are alternatives. They are substitutes. They are different business models. And you can like one more than the other, most certainly, but that does not a separate market make. So I want to talk to you all a little bit about this because that's what I was seeing. So many people were sending me in things. I want to thank Everborn Saga, I think, for sending me in an article. Other people sent me in things. In any event, I think that there's going to be more and more news about all of this. And I hope very much that you watch it all happen with me here on Virtual Legality. Again, if you want to check out uh, supporting this channel, do check out our Utreon, our Patreon, or otherwise just subscribe, tell your friends everything that YouTube likes, tickle its buttons, hit that subscribe, hit that like, hit that comment. Every single little bit helps. If you got this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality.